Uh, so we're doing an episode on Nicolas Cage. Uh, guys, there are at least eight podcasts dedicated to only Nicolas Cage. <laughs> How do you do that? I don't know, but each one is covering a different aspect of Nicolas Cage. Uh, the, the most popular one, I believe, is Cage's Kiss. Um, and uh, uh, by the way, uh, most of those, those uh, podcasts have more ratings and likes than ours. Well, I was about to say, you know what's what? going to piss us off? And I was about to say is I bet all of them are more popular than Bonehead Weekly. This is true. They are. <laughs> but, by the way, and real quick, I guess another thing we should throw out here before we get to our list. Yeah. Um, uh, one last quote from him is, how do you rebel on a family of rebels? So if you don't know, Nicholas's ca- Cage's real last name isn't Cage. It's Costanza. He's related to George Costanza. Or another C word. Sure, Coppola, but whatever. I like George Costanza. <laughs> no, ever, yeah, no, he's, he's, a Coppola. he's a Coppola. For you people who Coppola. don't know, he's a Coppola. And when you think, well, there's just Francis. Yes, that family. That Francis is his uncle. Yeah, and then, you know, even though he did have Coppola, and, you know, granted, let's, Coppola may have opened doors for him. It that, had to have. Yeah, um, but uh, he... Else, it opens doors of how the industry works. Yeah, it's it's all nihilistic, narcissistic. Um, nihilistic? Anyway, nihilistic, that's what I said. He believes in nothing? Nah, that's what I mean to say nihilistic. Uh, anyway, it's, anyway. No, uh, he actually grew outside, he grew up outside of Beverly Hills. His dad was a professor at Long Beach State College, I believe is what it was. Um, they lived middle class, or so he claims, and he lived across the road from a, a Porsche dealership. And he said that, you know, he never liked that life. He would always look forward to the summers when he went to go stay, uh, stay with his Uncle Francis. Nepotism was the word you were looking for, though. Yeah, they never had fancy cars. They never had anything. So when he went to this Uncle Francis's on the summers, that's what the life that he wanted. So um, he did mention the fact that he – did you know he lost a role to – I believe it was a streetcar named Desire. Do you know who he lost a role to? No. John Turtletop. John, huh. Oh, the uh, director. They were friends in high school, right? Yeah, and he lost out to him. By the way, I want to say real quick, we were talking about that movie. I just came into my head. Somebody needs to do a movie with him and Johnny Depp. Uh, him and Johnny Depp are best friends. Or I close friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I, want, I want them to do it because I was saying about it. They close would be friends. great dueling wizards. He was close friends with Jim Carrey for years as well, and they ended up yeah. falling out, right? Yeah, because of uh, Kick-Ass, too, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I might be wrong. But no, um, no, he, uh, he, uh, he takes credit for getting uh, Johnny Depp into acting. So uh, he, uh, Nicholas, uh, Johnny Depp was uh, staying on his couch in his apartment and he was mostly focused on music and Nicholas Cage, con- suppo- this is according to Nick Cage, Nick Cage convinced him, man, you should try acting. And Johnny Depp was against it. He's like, no, I'm, I'm about my music. And Nick Cage is like, no, you should really do acting. And he actually convinced him, took him to his first audition, which was Nightmare on Elm Street. Elm Street. <laughs> which it, i know it's an obscure film so if you've never seen it no john's book think of all the schmucks in hollywood or la for 40 50 60 70 years trying to get a break and some good-looking asshole is laying on some other good-looking asshole's couch and the one good-looking asshole says why don't you go on audition and then he ends up in one of the most monumental horror films of the next 30 to 40 years yeah, and I think Nick Cage, Nick Cage, like I, I think he said Johnny Depp was selling pins 
before he like actual handwriting pens and you and guys agree with me right oh no completely agree it's with a you. great johnny depp story and we should do one of these about johnny depp later because i oh, think absolutely. all three love johnny depp as well. and honestly oh, yeah. here this is what i'll say about uh johnny uh, i think there are three leading male actors who are great character actors yes johnny depp agreed nick cage brad pitt man yeah close i tell you leo's a good actor i don't know leonardo dicaprio actor, is a good one yeah but well i i think uh, to chad's point chad said character actor i think brad pitt has became a character actor he has but you know honestly if you i don't think, think of, leo is and we really got to get on nick cage but if you think about uh seven monkeys or 12 monkeys <laughs> Seven Monkeys is a prequel. That's when they cut the budget. <laughs> yeah. Seven Monkeys is a prequel. And then at the end of it, they'd be like, where should we put these other we five monkeys? We cut a million out of the budget. We've got a, we're all out of monkeys. Where should we put these five other monkeys? Well, put up with them other seven. That's yeah. an Let interesting make- thing, though, because I love George Clooney. You know this. I'm, I'm a huge George Clooney. I'm a, as am I. George Clooney is not a character. He's a movie star. No, he uh, he is a moving star. He is he is right up. He is the he Clark is completely Gable. watchable, and when he's on the screen, that's what you're looking at. Yeah, he's the Clark Gable, Cary Grant of this of, generation. Right, I I agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Tom Hanks is uh, a whistle pig. Why <laughs> can't I think of Jimmy Stewart's? <laughs> why did I say whistle pig? I don't oh, know. By, by the way, you just reminded me of my father more than I'm comfortable with. I know, because dad. my dad said it the other day, and my son was walking around going, I'm not a whistle pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Anyway. All right. So we've been All talking right, so 20 minutes. Should we go into it? James, uh, since I'll let you go first, then I'll go second. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna start with one that I don't think a lot of people have seen. And by the way, I want to point out that I I talked to Joe about this earlier. Sorry, James. I didn't pick my two favorite Nicolas Cage. Well, two of my favorite Nicolas Cage performances because I figured Joe was gonna bring up one, and I figured you were gonna bring up the other. So if you all don't, I'll be very disappointed. So go ahead. Well, I want to start with um, literally. It's it's uh, to be honest, as big a Nick Cage fan as I am. It's one that was. Don't be honest. To, Did you have to start the sentence with "to be honest"? I'm sorry to forge my story in the, the to tell my story for oh, the, tr- uh, the the on, on the anvil of truthfulness. <laughs> um, anyway, hey, we all got. Joe and our- I, by the way, for our podcast listeners, Joe and I both have our hands on our foreheads. Double face palms. <laughs> anyway, Dad's uh, drinking and has been. I wasn't, but. Why not start? Joe's getting out the Basil Hayden. This is actually. If there's a drinking game for Bonehead Weekly, it should be whenever Joe mentions Basil Hayden. (laughs) Wish they would give me some money every time I mention Basil, or at least Basil Hayden. (laughs) Basil Hayden gave me Basil Hayden. I'd work for Basil Hayden. By the way, I just want to. In my mind, I want them to actually be listening to this. And very snootily say every time, it's not basil, it's basil. Basil. <laughs> basil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he would pronounce it correctly. I grew up in Haydn. <laughs> anyway. That's a quote, Eddie Izzard, because there's a fucking eye in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to talk about one that doesn't get much attention and was considered an overlooked movie. That I don't believe any of this. You haven't talked about shit. Oh, man. A huge oh. following. Um it, it came out in 1992, and it actually oh, has a huge place in in weird history because it was the first motion picture to star uh, Dwight Yoakam. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. 
Red yeah. Rock, Rock West. 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 Ah, Nick Cage, Laura Flynn Boyle, J.T. Walsh, Dennis Hopper, all at the height of their crazy early 90s insanity. Oh, that's directed he, by the guy that also directed The Last Seduction. I can't remember his name. Oh, oh, With oh. Linda Fiorentino, Chad, is that her name? Um, yeah, Linda Fiorentino. From, directed by uh, John Dahl. John Dahl. John Dahl. John Dahl also went on to direct a movie that people probably remember in both both uh, Joy is it Joyride with the with yeah. the CB. Yep. Joy but he's Rod. also he also uh, Joe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he also is well known for directing many episodes of Dexter. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He directed um, Dexter. God, we should get John Dahl on the show. Mm-hmm. And say, you related to that, Rawled? <laughs> Four people just went. Oh. I know. I know. And talk about how that show ended. Where'd that giant peach go? Poorly. <laughs> it's over there. It's over there. You can't miss that hey, something. It's with me. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nick Cage. Drink. It's just funny. Nick Cage, Laura Flynn Boyle, JT, the late great JT Walsh character. The may, maybe the best character actor of all time. Hold on. I, I got my hat off, so okay. My hat's on my chest for JT Walsh. He may be the best, best character actor of all time. He's uh, definitely, I, I'll tell you, he's the most interesting character actor of all time. Oh man, isn't he though? Dennis Hopper is in this as well. It is, and and this is actually I I I went back and forth on this because Nick Cage plays this one relatively subdued. Yeah. But, but Nick Cage plays a, he's a marine that's out of the military. He's injured. He gets a job working on an oil rig. He's having to live in his car, and the oil rig actually ends up not hiring him because he won't lie about an injury. So he would be a liability if something happened to him and all this stuff. And he basically just goes in this dive bar in this little town and the bartender, or I'm sorry, somebody at the bar mistakes him for, as Lyle from Dallas. Turns out Lyle, Lyle from Dallas is an assassin. You, a hit man, you pay him, he'll kill somebody. And he says, here's half the money. I'll give you the other half when you finish the job. And he wants him to kill his wife. Now Nick Cage is down on his luck as, as plays the, the actor, the character's name is Michael and thinks, I'll take this money, I'll warn her, and then I'll get out of town, and my life will improve. Well, <laughs> it's not a short film. It doesn't go that well. He ends up going to warn her at one point. She said, well, I'll pay you even more if you'll kill him, and it goes back and forth, and it's got a little bit, it's, it was considered a neo-noir, but if you've never heard of Red Rock West, one of the reasons is the studio went, we don't know what this is. It's neo-noir, but it doesn't fit comfortably in any genre, and they didn't know how to market it. Go ahead, Joe. I know. I, was it released on HBO? Um, it, I so, watched it on HBO, and I want to believe it was released on HBO, but you, like the Night Flyer, if anybody remembers the Stephen King film, the Night Flyer, that was also released on HBO. See uh, Stephen King episode uh, two or three. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, you know, I don't know the full details on that, Joe. I know the American rights to sell. So it was made on a $7 million budget, and they sold the rights for American uh, distribution for $2.5 million. Um, and I forget what company bought them. I want to say something like Tristar or Columbia or something. Anyway, one of those. Uh, and then the international rights went to a company. I don't remember the name of it. But basically, um, when it came out, what views it did get – I think they may have done a very limited theatrical, but it was, you're right. It was not, this was not The Rock. It did not get wide views. Yeah, I saw it on uh, HBO. I'm tons of reviewers, though, said that this was going to be a film that people slept on and regretted. 
Um, and matter of fact, at the end of 1992, the top 10 rankings, uh, this, this film appeared on a lot of them. Peter Travers for Rolling Stone said it was the seventh best film of the year. Gene Siskel said it was the ninth. Peter Rayner of the Los Angeles Times put it as the 10th. And if you are a fan of country music, one of my favorite Dwight Yoakam songs, A Thousand Miles from Nowhere, was written nowhere. specifically for this movie. If you, I don't want to give the end of the movie away. You should watch it. But at the end of the movie, this is what plays when the plot resolves. And Dwight Yoakam does have a cameo in it. He is the truck driver in a... He's the truck driver, yeah. And so if you've never seen Red Rock West, even if you're on the fence about Nick Cage, even if you hate Nick Cage, you are going to see Dennis Hopper and Cage and Laura Flynn Boyle and J.T. Walsh all play off of each other. And it is very well done. Yes, Chet. Okay. So it did have a limited release in the U.S., uh, the budget was eight million. You might want to guess what the opening weekend in the U.S. was. Twenty-five thousand dollars. James. Twelve hundred dollars. Eleven thousand five hundred and sixty-two dollars. That's big. And by money. the way, um, at the preview, none of the producers showed up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a Everything. Not, and this is not a bad. I'm not bad mouthing James's pick. Red Walk West should be watched. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it, it was. It just doesn't. It doesn't hop. It's nope. a character study. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, as as all the as the studio heads even put in the time, Chad, stupid they, they didn't know how to market it. They didn't know it because it wasn't an action film, but it's not quite Hitchcockian. As Joe says, it's a character study, and it's really it's a character hard. Study. It doesn't just bounce around. It uh, there's not a ton of action. It's not. I'm trying to think of a movie to compare it to. There's not much other than other John Dahl films. Yeah, no. Actually, John Dahl films, actually, probably that's one of the least action-y. I bet The Last Seduction has more twists and turns than that one. But you really should. You really should check it out because it is a great – it does have – it begins very North by Northwest-ish in that he he is mistaken and rides it. Um, Though, I guess, North by Northwest, he doesn't mean to ride it. It's just mistaken, and he doesn't know how to fix it. No, they didn't give me a chaser. Sorry. Uh, just, just North by Northwest is one of the most quotable movies of all time. Isn't it? But, uh, uh, but, but for Nick Cage films, this is one of his highest ranked films on Rotten Tomato. It has a 95% positive score on Rotten Tomato. Wow, that high? I, I would be sh- it's, I, it's man. good. It's not that good. Yeah, damn, 95%? I haven't seen it in years. Go back and we watch it. It's, it's pretty solid. Uh, by the way, I should say, uh, I don't get kickback for this, but Peacock, which is NBC Universal's streaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. the free account, uh, because I was trying to find a place to rewatch this, and it was really hard because it's not available on DVD in Region 1. You can get it in Region 2, but I don't have a Region 2 player. Uh, that being said, Peacock has it for free. Uh, it's one of their free selections. If you just sign up, all you have to do is give your email. You can watch Red Rock West for free. So if you've never seen it, hey, it ain't going to cost you nothing, and you get to see Dennis Hopper as an assassin. Yep. Cool. All right. Chad. All right. So when I picked my three, like I said, I didn't pick two of them because I figured you should have grab, but I wanted to pick one. I wanted to pick one that was, you know, Nick Cage, kind of the bizarre, like off kilter role. Then there was the serious, just showing how great his range is. And then the goofy Nick Cage. Um, so I'm going to start off with the, the, the quirky role. And I got to go with adaptation. 
uh, where like he that. played Charlie and Donald Kaufman. Uh, directed by Spike Jones, written by Charlie Kaufman, based on, I'm doing air quotes for our, our audio listeners, based on a book by Susan Orlin. <laughs> um, Which was unadaptable. It was unadaptable. That's the plot to the film, more or yeah. less. He's trying to adapt it, and he writes himself into that. And it is a bizarre premise. So yeah, Charlie Kaufman was writ- wrote uh, hired to write a book about this this book about this orchid hunt, this hunt for this orchid, from written by a book by Susan Orlin. And he somehow managed, in Charlie Kaufman's amazing mind, turned it into a book, a movie about him and his imaginary twin brother trying to adapt this story into a movie and turned it into this crazy series of events. So Nicolas Cage plays dual roles in this. Um, it is an amazing watch. Um, is that I, his last best performance? Oh, no. I don't oh, agree no, man, with that. He's pretty good. Yeah, there's another one that I'm going to mention that's after, I believe it's after that. I need to check the dates. Um, An article from the AV Club from 2002, um, where Nicolas Cage was talking about getting ready for this role. Um, Access to Charlie definitely helped me shape my character. Talking about Charlie Kaufman, the writer. I think there are two Charlies. There's the biological Charlie we have here, and then there's the surrealistic Charlie. I should not have drank before I said big words, which is on the paper and in the movie. Uh-huh. Tee-hee. <laughs> <laughs> Spike and I together decided that we wanted to use the biological Charlie as a resource in terms of interviews and examining his characteristics and the way he speaks, uh, the way he thinks. It was very exciting for me to listen to him. He's a very passionate guy. So I sort of made a mental sketch from that, but I didn't lock myself into it. With you on uh, to uh, re- in regards to Spike Jones, with uh, him on the set, we'd go through different, uh, and that's what he he mainly focuses on is he didn't really go with actually Charlie Kaufman. He didn't do what Charlie Kaufman. He him and Spike Jones worked on the role of determining how he should deliver this character, and you know, and you know, one of the things that that uh, Nicholas Cage likes to do is he likes to kind of home in on a certain performance. Like for example, with raising Arizona, do either one of you know what his uh, uh, inspiration for raising the character in raising Arizona was? Do not. James? No, I did. Woody Woodpecker. Yeah. Well, the Woody Woodpecker, he has the tattoo on his arm. Yeah. And he, well, and that was part of the thing. He used that, that Woody Woodpecker. That's how he developed his performance. Um, So him and Spike, worked really closely to develop not just one but two individual characters and just watching him bounce off of himself was insane and uh, i believe uh oh man uh nicholas cage's uh, either brother or cousin was standing in for the role whenever it was switched it would be the other it would be nicholas cage's brother who he was talking to just so he could get like a you know a kind of um a mirror image of what he would be talking to. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, watch it. It is truly bizarre, but man, is it good. I was going to say, there, there's a scene in it that literally, so when I fought, saw the film, I saw it with a couple of friends of mine uh, who, who live in Michigan and Joe will know who those people are. Uh, but anyway, that being said, uh, I saw it and there's a scene in the film where he's trying to write and he's negotiating with himself. Right. 
and he's doing that. Okay, if I write, if I write a paragraph, I'll let myself have a bagel. No, you don't, or a, a muffin. No, you don't need a muffin. You're too fat. Don't you don't need. A, but if I write, a, and he goes back and forth, and literally, uh, the person that I was with turned over to me and be like, "This is like watching you on a screen." And I was like, I'm sorry. Joe, James, it's funny that you say that. Joe, I don't know if you remember this at all. You probably don't. Uh, Me and Joe saw saw it in the theater together. Me and Joe saw this in the theater together. And if you haven't seen the movie, it opens up in black. And Charlie and Nicholas Cage's Charlie Kaufman is literally going, going through a thought process in his head. And it just gets more and more broken. And he speaks fast, rapid fire, rapid fire. And Joe looked at me and said, that is how you think, isn't it? That is me to a T every day of my life. <laughs> it's actually how it's probably more you, but it, it's, it, I see versions of it for you. I mean, you're my two best friends for both of you. And I always think, I always wonder because people love that movie and I do not have an attachment to it whatsoever. Other than the appreciation of the amazing storytelling, actually, you know what, of the amazing acting and writing but I who, don't who, have an attachment to it like everyone else does. Who won the, the best supporting actor for that? What's that? Why am I blanking on his name? Chris Cooper didn't win yeah, for Chris that. He won for American Beauty. Oh, was he was nominated for it. I'm sorry, he's nominated. Yeah, Chris Cooper's fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. And then I love the fact of the part of the movie where his brother is the one who's clearly writing the script from this point. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. It, I mean, it starts becoming a murder and a mystery, and it's clearly his brother. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The, I, I yeah. enjoy I but I don't have an attachment to it. I I, it's not something I can go back and to. I think that's why the I have the about being John Malkovich. I think that's why I have the attachment that I do because literally I see myself in the role. Um it's Nicolas Cage doing me. And yeah. you know, my whole thought process is constant and I watch that sometimes and sometimes it's honestly helped me because my brain gets like that where I'm trying to focus on a project and then I just spiral out of control and I come and think about that movie and it snaps me right back. And I'm like, okay, I need to quit being Charlie Kaufman for a minute, even though I know that may not be how Charlie Kaufman thinks, but you know, it's how movie Charlie Kaufman thinks. It's how movie. That's the only one I've got to meet. Exactly. And if it doesn't happen in a movie, it's not true. Joe go. I've changed mine around listening to you all. I was going to say, I've, but this has made me change mine, I, the next one. But anyway, go ahead. And I'm going to go ahead and steal this one, even though I told Chad it wasn't on my list. I'm going to put it on my list because <laughs> it's exactly, it's who, it's, I said it earlier, and you just talked about it. Raising Arizona introduced me to Nicolas Cage, and I thought he was amazing from that point on. No one else. Did you know that Kevin Costner auditioned for that role three times? No. Three times. So that means he was pretty damn close of going that the Coens were close to going with Kevin Costner. That would have been a completely different movie. And it's a different movie, right? Kevin Costner's not a bad actor. No, he's, he's not. A different movie. That would have been Kevin Costner in a perfect world. The movie The Perfect yes. A Perfect World in but Raising Arizona. That's very it's very intelligent of you. Oh my god, we've been very complimentary of one another. Why do you Fuck. sound shocked that that wasn't intelligent? <laughs> See, I took a compliment. Hey, fucked hey, it up. Uh, hey, hey, Chad, you, that, that was really intelligent. Can you please take both your fingers out of one nostril? <laughs> I mean, it's impressive. It's impressive. But. This is how much uh, four roses I have left. So it, the, the intelligence is going right out the window. <laughs> it's also the movie that Matthew McConaughey says is the one he's watched the most times in his life. 
Which that does not surprise complete me. Complete sense to me, right? It does. Yeah. Would watch Raising Arizona. It came out in 1987. I want to talk about just a couple of things. I think most people have seen Raising Arizona. <clears throat> Raising Arizona is a movie that. And here's the second reason. I was sitting here thinking, listening to you all, and thinking about, well, yeah, it, 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 I shouldn't pick it because I always pick the popular ones, and I don't mean to, but it's just what I like, and maybe it's just a more mainstream taste. Well, but Joe, Lewis, we'll shit on you. We'll shit on you when you pick USS Indianapolis as your next one. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but yes, that's amazing. I really liked Shark Number Fifteen. <laughs> Sorry, I liked the performance when he took that guy's leg off. I'm assuming there's sharks in that movie. I'm assuming. There has to be. There has to be. If you don't Sorry, know the story as, as, of Indianapolis, look that up. Google yes. it. It's fascinating. Or watch Jaws, and Robert Shaw will tell you. Now, back to it. Introduce me to the Coen brothers, whom I went on to have a love affair with for the rest of my life. Same here. I It introduced me to Holly Hunter, Francis McDormand, John Goodman, one of your favorite character actors. What's Chop Top's name? William Forsyth. William Forsyth. That would be flat top. And John, that was your introduction to John Goodman, really? I probably had seen a couple of things, but what do you know John Goodman for before 1997? Revenge of the Nerds? Uh, Roseanne. When did Roseanne come out? I'm going to check now because I don't want to sound like an idiot. is right around the time, I would imagine. That's okay. okay. King Ralph introduced me to John Goodman. And that oh, movie, his, whole, his, his rendition of Duke of Earl. That movie is nothing but riches. I wouldn't have known who Randall Tex Cobb was, by who, by the way, ended up suing the Coen Brothers, and that's a whole other story. Oh, well, and that was the entire thing that they they uh, I think it was Ethan Cohen said he's not an actor; he's just a force of nature. I don't know if I'd work with him again. And they didn't get along necessarily with Nicolas Cage because they had a vision, and Nicolas Cage, being who Nick Cage is, had a way he wanted to play H.I. McDonough. Now. Here's the reason why at 42 that I'm picking it. After I told you all that, now looking back on it, even though it's kind of a screwball comedy, it's kind of a, a horror film in a sense, right? It also still touches, and this is something I want to talk about just as simple as I had a long time, I, as most of you know, if you listen to the show, I had my son later in life, and it was a long road through hell to finally have a child. And the fact that they're childless, looking for anything to fulfill that still gets to me. And I kind of understand, I didn't get it then. Why would you go steal a baby? That was probably, I didn't understand it. But at 40, I kind of get it now. They had too many, so they went to steal. So that's the story. That's the plot of Raising Arizona. The first 15 minutes is before the credits even roll of explaining how he meets this person who's played by Holly Hunter, his wife, who's the last girl for you kids out there. And they fall in love. He is a criminal. They get together. They can't have kids. They go steal a baby. Movie starts. Correct, gentlemen? Do you know what balls of steel it took to do that in 1987? Any other filmmaker doing that? I know. I'm Now I'm preaching about the Coens. Well, no, but it was, they wanted to make a movie that was the exact opposite of their previous film, which was which is Blood Blood Simple. Simple. And they did. And they, did. they by God did. So I highly recommend it. And that's where the movie starts. That's where the credits is. It's about 15 minutes into the movie. Tells you everything you need to know. And there you go. By the way, I also didn't realize that the the job he works for, which has also got a great name. Roseanne came out the next year. So you're right. Raising Arizona, then Roseanne. Emmett Walsh. C.M.E.M. Walsh is the co-worker who's also on Blood Simple. They work at Hudsucker Industries. (laughs) 
I didn't know that. <laughs> By the way, can I, since you mentioned this So film, Nicolas Cage, HMI, and it's also got one of my favorite lines of all time in it. What did he, what was he wearing from the kidnapped father? Chad, you remember being drunk in my apartment during, I don't know. I remember this. Remember Jessica just laughing our asses off. I don't know. They had Yodas and shit on them. He had his damn PJs on. Vaguely <laughs> remember that. Kid. Made me laugh for years. <laughs> what was so that, on the PJs? I don't know. They had Yodas and shit on them. So, so that film also involved Sam McMurray. It was Yo, by the know, way not a hit. No. Do you know? Uh, but it's been replayed to where it is now. Yeah, it was. It, that's where it, it, audience found it. Was it a video and HBO and shows? Yeah. Uh, and then Comedy Central. Comedy Central did it and Rocky Horror Picture Show around the same time that I literally remembered. See both Nick Cage, and then it would cut to Susan Sarandon and Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Susan Sarandon on our double feature tonight when in the early days of Comedy Central. But Sam McMurray's involved in that film. And have you ever heard the story about Nick Cage, uh, them going to go get lunch, him and Nick Cage, and what happened offset when they met a female fan? Is Sam McMurray the guy that plays uh, Arizona, Ethan Arizona, or whatever the guy? Maybe. Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't know. The biggest unpainted furniture store. It's unpainted bathroom fixtures for your bathroom boudoir. Sorry. Unpainted so, furniture. This is a story, and you can read this on IMDb. I'm not making this up. He and he, uh, Sam McMurray and Nick Cage take a break. They go for lunch at this local diner. This female fan, uh -huh. young fan, sees them. Can't believe it's actually Nick Cage. Nick Cage finally says, no, it's actually me. It's actually me. And he, she says, can I have an autograph? <laughs> He grabbed a cocktail napkin, took out a pen, and wrote, you'll die tomorrow, Nick Cage. <laughs> and I love that story because if I ever get a chance to meet Nick Cage and have him sign something, much like Joe Lewis had John Carpenter sign something specifically. And I, I will tell you that story the next time we have a convention, please get your damn COVID shot. Yeah, I, but Nick, that's what I want Nick Cage to sign. You will die tomorrow, Nick Cage. <laughs> You can look that story up, it's true, but it happened on uh, while they were filming Raising Arizona. There you go. Fun little side story about Raising Arizona. All right, James, go. This James. episode's getting long. Don't disappoint me. Uh, I may disappoint you because I changed after you were talking about uh, adaptation and what an impact it had on you. And like I said, I share a story. This film I saw for the first time, and y'all have probably heard me tell the story before, so you'll know what it's going to be. Uh, I used to work Dad in... Dad is biting his fist, which is usually different it's a different thing than it usually does with his fist. Um, but it usually has an ing after fist. Yeah, it's a verb. Uh, anyway. Um, he turned his I, fist into a uh, verb. I, it's no I, longer passive, James. <laughs> Three English majors just get yeah, like, Passive, uh, meet aggressive. <laughs> Boom. Oh, Chad's always been passive aggressive. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I used to have a job, as, as Joe did as well, where we were on call and all this stuff. And way back in the day, I worked on a campus right when it went completely dry. But a lot of students didn't get that memo, and a lot of students were drinking and stuff like that. And one night, I actually dealt with an alcohol poisoning. And I just so happened I had somebody cover for me. There was a Blockbuster, which used to be a place you could rent movies, right next campus. I ran over. I grabbed this film. I came back. I put it in. I couldn't sleep that night. I was all wound up. And that movie ended up being... Um, the the uh, Martin Scorsese directed uh, Bringing Out the Dead. There you go. And you did that, disappoint me, sir. That film 
is not for everybody. And I'll tell you another story. I went back later to that same blockbuster after the movie was no longer new and they didn't need 20 copies of it. And they had a copy for sale on, on uh, VHS at the time. And it was three ninety nine. I was like, well, that's way cheap. I'll buy it. I went up to the counter to buy it. And the guy at the counter later looked at me and went, really? You want this movie? I said, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought, great soundtrack. It's very, the I mean. The movie it's, is amazing. It's painful. You rewatch it, guys. I saw it in the theater when it came out. Did it I is, see it with you, Chad? No. It, right. is, it is painful. So if you well, never Who the hell it, was blowing me? I, I want to make that you see that with your mom. I don't want to do that, but I just did. Anyway. Uh, I don't think she was there. <laughs> I would have smelled the sulfur. Oh, anyway. And you um, know smell and memory. If you've never seen the film, it's set in early 1990s New York. So this is when, yeah. when Times Square was still seedy and people were overdosing on drugs in public and all. It was before New York got their tourist cleanup, right? Before Giuliani came in and cleaned up the town. Um, Cage plays Frank Pierce. It's the early 90s. There's drugs everywhere. There's prostitutes. It's all out in public. Nobody's really trying to hide it. And he basically is dealing with the fact that he hasn't – it's an opening monologue. I haven't saved anybody in weeks. And and he he he's doing this idea of is he doing any good? The streets are just getting worse and everything. And it follows him uh basically over the course of fifty-six hours. And it, there's there's a shortage of ambulance drivers. Nobody wants to do this. It's all terrible. You're not helping people. There's entire scenes where uh they go in and they're dropping people off at the hospital and you hear the nurse saying we're going to clean you up and get you off drugs just so you can go do it again. That's what you always do. And so it's this idea of it's all fruitless and it's all pointless. And in the background, there's a couple different stories going on. There's, there's a, a homeless man. He, he, he's trying to help and at one point turns on. There's a body that's pretty much brain dead that he begins to think he's having conversations with. Um, he's burnt out, but he can't sleep. He's just in insomnia. It's it is not the same as the machinist, but it's kind of that same thing. He has been pushed is, to the point it is better than the machinist that he can't stop. There is a point when he Can we finally it now, other than Christian Bale's performance, the machinist is overrated. If yes. people are really fans of Brad Anderson, his best film is Session Nine. There, I said it. Um, no argument. But and basically maybe a couple of the episodes of House that he directed. That's it. Session nine. We're done. But basically, this film is all about him searching for peace and 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 literally heading toward a collapse and then trying to find redemption. And the the other thing that's great about this film, directed by Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader, mm-hmm. um, but the, the cast on it is just this great cast. Uh, John Goodman, speaking of which, we mentioned John Goodman once. Uh, Patricia Arquette is the daughter of the basically the brain dead corpse or the brain dead body. Ving Rains is in it. Mark Anthony, Tom Sizemore. There are so many great lines. The soundtrack is all over the place, but it's really well done. There are scenes where Nicolas Cage is absolutely manic. Uh, There's a scene with him and Tom Sizemore that gets downright creepy uh, because it's believable, because it's believable that he has lost so much hope 
that you can pretty much convince him that anything is better than where he is at that moment. Yeah, and when, and, they're, and, when they're speeding, when he's on, when he's on med, when he's on the drugs, and and he's speeding through New York, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, and and the, the I think that's part of or one time one part of that is when they play Japanese Sandman and he's flipping out. Yeah, um, I need to rewatch I, it, guys. It is it is a I mean it's not a feel good movie. Uh, no, it's not no but I don't out. think I got it, ends, it when I saw it. It ends on it ends on a good note though. It does, and it's there's but there's so much of it that like I said when I saw it for the first time and I've got the I've got the DVD over on my shelf. I I've watched it a couple different times. And if you only think of Nick Cage as an over-the-top action star or all that, this is one, are there some over-the-top scenes? Meh. But it's also, he really conveys that he doesn't know what else to do. Yeah. He wants to help people. He wants to get back. He actually has this great line, and I think about it quite often. When you save somebody, it's like God has moved through you. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you can say, I am God. And it, it, it has, and, but he's not saying it egotistically. It's just this idea that he has saved somebody. And the other part of the film is he keeps seeing the people that he's lost. And, yeah. and specifically one particular one. And, and, and uh, Jay, I don't want to give too much away, but in those scenes where he's thinking about that person, it's snowing. And one of the most beautiful aspects of that is, when, this is Scorsese, the snow is actually falling upwards. And it's beautiful. Everything about them, it's just beautifully shot. And it was not one I was going to have on my list because a lot of people don't like it. But oddly enough, uh, I thought it, I, honestly, I thought that would have been your number one pick. That's why I didn't pick it. That's uh, well, oddly enough, time. And I told my story about the blockbuster guy not believing I wanted to buy it, but it has grown in appreciation. The professional critics' uh, overall score of it is seventy-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score is seventy percent. Now that may not seem overly high, but it's pretty good considering uh, the, the the audience and the critics are pretty close together. But it is not. It's a hard film. I can't tell you when you should watch it. I can't tell you. Oh well, if you're having a bad day, watch this. It'll make you feel like your day's not that bad. Yeah. Or, or you know, oh, you're having too good a day. Watch this. It'll bring you down. I don't know when, but I can tell I'll you. I'll tell you when you should watch it. You should do a double feature of that and Mother Jugs and Speed. Oh my God. <laughs> No, 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 and, and stop. And I think I'm going to give the kids some vodka, <laughs> some Benadryl, and start about eight o'clock. Stop! Stop halfway through. Uh, I'll tell you when exactly when to. Joe's right, but you need to play Mother Jugs and Speed right in the middle, and I'll tell you when you need to start it. Okay. Stop bringing out the dead right after I be banging die. Now, you'll know when that is in the movie because uh, literally the line is, I be banging, come back to us. Because uh, it's at, at stop the movie then, put in Mother Jones and Speed, watch Mother Jones and Speed through the, and then come back and watch the rest of it. And if out. you're a fan of Dallas and Larry Hagman and J.R. Ewing, <laughs> just get a whole new taste of what that was like with Larry oh, Hagman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, and, and how uh, that, that, that one scene was actually mirrored something that happened really later on <laughs> oh, oh anyway yeah anyway bring out the dead is a very heavy movie but it is one that i go back to and it is one that people who say uh, cage never really acted i watch you can't say that without watching especially the three that we mentioned and the one i'm getting ready to mention but yeah no i didn't uh bringing out the dead was going to be one of my top picks but 
I figured James would bring it up because that's one of those ones that we've had numerous conversations about. Oh, I love bringing up the dead. I, as do I. All I right. just can't tell you when you should watch it. Go, yeah. Chad. Go. So this was my my uh, replacement for bringing out the dead. This was, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage playing a purely great role in just his acting, his dramatic turn. Matchstick Men. I, I, that was on my list. Good. I'm glad you did it. Yeah. Uh, that was the one I did. This, I did bring That's a good up Ridley Scott film. film. It really is, and it's it's largely forgotten, which is a shame. I agree. Uh, he it's played also a great Roy, Sam Rockwell performance. Yeah, and Sam again, Sam Rockwell is another one of those. He's one of my favorite actors. Period. Uh, honestly, any movie he does, I can watch and enjoy. Like that really bad one that he did with Anna Kendrick and uh, written by Max Landis. <laughs> I saw it too. Well, Christy actually enjoyed parts of it. I enjoy him. Yeah, and hey, he's yeah. fun. He's fun. So it's worth a watching. great movie I love called The Way, Way Back. Um, yeah, and there's another one, uh, Better Living Through Chemistry. I've not seen that. One. If you haven't seen that, check out Sam Rockwell. But we're talking about Nicolas Cage. We'll do a whole other episode about Sam Rockwell. Um, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Nick and Ted Griffin. It's basically uh, Nicolas Cage plays um, a hypochondriac OCD con man. Uh, Sam Rockwell's his right-hand man, and... Uh, He's, uh, you know, he's all, he, he swindles people out of money, um, even through his, his issues. He has to, he has to close the door three times. He only eats tuna out of a can, you know, things like this. Uh, he has one, at one point in time, he, he, he has one of his manic episodes and he has to comb his entire carpet. It's fun watching Nicolas Cage do this performance. And then he finds out he has a daughter. That's all I'm going to say. Um, Roger Ebert wrote um, of the role, and I want to have a whole episode. We'll never, we'll never do this of all the shit that Roger Ebert said was great, <laughs> and how wrong he was. Did you all know he said Spawn was a great movie? No, but why Spawn? I don't know. I just read it the other day, and he said the the the, the, the visual effects in Spawn were visionary. Spawn. Spawn. That's the hill he wanted to die on. That's the hill he wanted to die. And there oh. are many examples of Roger Ebert praising shitty movies. And yeah. that's the only one that I want. Yeah, we, we need to do that as a bonehead fun size. Yeah. So Roger Ebert wrote of the role, uh, speaking specifically of Nicolas Cage. He has a kind of raging zeal that possesses his characters. When another actor, when another actor would be overacting is with Cage, a kind of fearsome intensity which I think, in all fairness, captures Nicolas Cage to a T. Um, but Nicolas Cage, as I mentioned earlier, he does feel that this movie is largely forgotten, but he did admit that he had a lot of fun with this role. And Ridley Scott let him, let him play with the role. But also Ridley Scott had um, his vision for what this movie was going to be. And uh, Nicolas Cage even says this about working with directors. He, want, he will try something. But the ultimate say in it is the director. Yeah, it's the director's vision, which you got to respect. Yeah, you got to respect Nicolas Cage in regards to that. Is he will try his damnedest to do something off the wall. But if in the end, if the director thinks maybe we should try it a different way, he will listen. But no, if you haven't seen Matchstick Men, again, it's one of those obscure. And I hate to say that it's obscure because it is an amazingly good film. And I don't remember it being a box office bomb. I just don't think you're, I think it, you're right. Nobody remembers it. No, it wasn't. It, it, it did in fair to Midland. 
67 million dollars off of a 60 million dollar budget yeah, yeah it, was fair, it was a fair to midland success down, but nobody remembers it but it just kind of went the way you know there was a and i believe uh either i believe nicholas cage might have been nominated for an oscar or sam rockwell might have been for this movie I don't remember um but you know and in fact if i'm not mistaken i think he was nominated and he lost to sean penn for mystic river you all can check me on that um but no, uh, Matchstick Men is a great film. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's just watching his progression from mentally broken man to finding some kind of new lease on life with a new perspective. It's an amazing watch. Joe, go ahead. Turn me off of mute. So what I was going to pick is another one of those famous films that not only gives us one of, who is it again we're talking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. Nicolas Cage, his greatest performance. Did you literally but, forget, or was that your way of tra- Was that your way of being coy? I was actually trying to kill time to figure out what my second sentence uh, was. Ah, okay, okay. No, well, I hope I just helped. You Well, no, because now I kind of forgot, <laughs> but I'm back to it. <laughs> as much as I love Hard Boiled and the Killers, this is actually my favorite John Woo masterpiece. I'm glad you brought it up. It's not the one I thought you were going to do, but go ahead. Love Face Off. I love Face Off too. I think Face Off is the last best big budget action film before CGI took over. Hmm. Google it, gentlemen. Uh, and go back and look. Now, we look when you do, you'll see that several of the shots, yeah, I don't think that's Nicolas Cage and John Travolta flying off that boat. That's probably what we call back in the day uh, stunt doubles. Stunt doubles, yeah. They didn't paste their faces on them, but to me, it is so batshit crazy. It was a huge hit. I saw it in the summer in Hazard, Kentucky with the lady I was dating who ended up in the emergency room later that night. And a friend of mine came along and he said, hey, we just dropped her off. It's already 1 a.m. Do you mind driving me to this guy's house so I can pay him? I didn't know it was a drug dealer's house. I didn't know. There's more to this story than I'm yeah, not you're, going you're to tell you right the now. the lead of what the hell happened at the hospital. Oh. You know, I, I, I think I know. but yeah, I, I, She had some sort of cyst bust. Do we really want to get into that? And that's no. a long time ago. Long, she married let's and let's divorced talk about something. somebody ripping Nicolas Cage's face off. <laughs> And that's what's so it's ridiculous. And they even have a throw. So John Travolta and Nicolas Cage put them side by side. One's taller, one's chunkier than the other one. Oh, yeah. They, how do you just put their face on the other one and make it work? And there's even a throwaway line if you guys remember the movie CCH Pounder, another great character actor. Yeah. She's fantastic. Demon Knight. But she even says, ah, height's negligible. Does anybody remember that? San Diego. What'd you say? No, nothing. Never mind. That's not Cheech Pounder. Go ahead. CCH Pounder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she says, ah, height's negligible. Really? Is it negligible? <laughs> but we don't give a shit. He plays Caster Troy, but he also plays the, uh, and I, that's what I was actually looking up right before him was John Travolta's character's name. Well, I couldn't remember. And while you look that up, yeah, that was the cool thing about this is they actually, stu- they so they transfer parts and they actually studied one another. Oh. They spent so they, two weeks together before they actually shot the movie. Did you guys know that? Yeah. I knew that. And so they could catch each other's mannerisms. And in my opinion, I love John Travolta, but Nicolas Cage really nailed it. 
Oh, he nailed. Well, they nail each other. I yeah, truly yeah. do believe that. So John Travolta plays Sean Archer. He's an FBI, blah, 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 blah. And Caster Troy is the villain played by Nicolas Cage. And he killed his son at one time. And he's trying to chase him down and get him back. And Joan Allen plays John Travolta's wife. It has a stellar cast. Jennifer, Jennifer uh, Jennifer, <laughs> Gina Gershon. John Carroll Lynch is in this. I completely forgot. Margaret Cho. All right, stop talking. <laughs> Why? John Travolta is a CIA agent. CIA? A, I said FBI. I'm sorry. FBI. Either way. No, FBI, CIA. He kind of plays a spy. Yeah. Named Archer. Yeah. It's Sean Archer. I'm sure okay. they stole it from it. <laughs> sure they stole it. They had to have. They Go had, ahead, Joe. They had to have. Anyway, doesn't matter. So they get this. He finally catches him, but Caster Troy is in a coma. So they don't. There's a bomb planted somewhere. It's a fucking MacGuffin. We did a whole episode on a MacGuffin. Yes. They got to find the bomb. They switch faces so he can go deep undercover as Caster Troy. Well, Caster Troy wakes up, gets out of the hospital, steals John Travolta's face, face. by the doctor played by Colin Fiore. I know this sounds crazy. It is so much fun. It is. A, it holds up today, gentlemen. I watched oh, no, it last year. It is just as much fun as it was when I saw it in the nineties. Yeah, you know, there's two things in that movie that I think are, that that genuinely entertained me, and that has to be the 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 five or ten minutes where Nicolas Cage actually doesn't have a face. Yep. <laughs> and he's trying to smoke a cigarette. Yep. <laughs> I, Really quick, I think a lot of people have seen this movie. I don't want to belabor the point. I love the fact that they get to play each other and they try to get each other's mannerism. My story about Nicolas Cage is going to be broke down into a story I heard John Travolta tell in an interview once. Okay. They were sitting around this two weeks they were together and they were talking about all the things they like and he's doing his impersonation of Nicolas Cage and like, yeah. And blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, I like that too. Yeah, I like that too. And Nicolas Cage all of a sudden blurts out, have you ever woke up in the morning and just go, I need to go buy a nice, I want to buy a nice piece of glass. And John said, no, never have done that. <laughs> <laughs> and it stopped right there. Ah. Uh, which reminds me, if you guys love this episode, check out Chris Alexander episode of Fangoria that we've done earlier, who has one of the best, best take, Nicolas Cage stories away. of all. What? <laughs> just take it away. Just take it away. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. Uh, take it away. Yeah, the other scene that I, I are love you into vo- voodoo? And, uh, <laughs> Vodou. He said Vodou, right? Vodou. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Take it away. More. I love that whole movie. I do. It's it is nonstop fun. Um, but the other scene that I like to talk, and again, if you haven't seen Face Off, what's wrong with you? Watch it. But I'm going to mention close to the end, yeah, where they're they're in their final battle, and John Travolta takes that piece of glass, and then John Travolta or, or Nicholas Cage stops him. Uh-huh. That whole scene and Nicholas Cage's face as he does what he does to John Travolta. Uh huh. Oh, it just it gets me every time. Well, and it's great just acting. So John Travolta shot his scenes, some of his scenes first, and then they showed some of it to Nicholas Cage. It's another story. He shot the opening scene with him, with his son, uh, with his son getting son, shot yeah. on the carousel. That yep. was actually shot before Nicholas Cage got there, and he saw the footage. And he said he wrote a letter to to Travolta saying, "You've raised it to another level. I see what we're doing. We're going to, we're going to raise this to another level." Yeah. 
And that's what they do. There's a ton of heart in the movie, too. I know it sounds ridiculous, and the plot is ridiculous, but the characters are fairly three-dimensional, and you do care. And it helps that Joan Allen, a great actress, plays his wife and grounds a lot of it. And he does have a dead son, and he has a vendetta, and he has a daughter he has to save. And it it sounds trivial, but they do a good job of making it three dimensional and grounded, and you care and you be invested in these characters. Can I and just state the guy one, that plays his brother? I have no idea. Is also a fantastic actor. Yeah, I don't know what. I, I just want to state this one thing about this: best use of somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah, you know he originally John Woo wanted the actual, and they couldn't they couldn't afford it. They were oh, really? actual Judy Garland singing it. Yeah, they couldn't afford it. That is the best use of that song. It. <laughs> The Killers is probably John Woo's best film, but this is the one I would pop in. And yeah, I just love it. Face off. Sorry, he did actually go on to work with Chris with him again in Wind Talkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, this is running long. What's our third one? James, go. Uh, I, you know, I, I I changed my mind again. I was going to coin flip between these two, but I think I'm dude, I've about- changed my mind now twice. If if you've ever sat down. And you watched the uh, Jennifer Lawrence film, Winter's Bone. And you went, this film's way too upbeat for me. I need to watch a film that makes me realize all human beings are inherently terrible human, that are terrible things. I would recommend you check out David Gordon Green directing Nicolas Cage in the film, Joe. I haven't seen it. It was <sighs> named after me. Uh, Joe is, so it's based on a book. Uh, that is by Larry Brown. If you don't know Larry Brown, Larry Brown has passed away. He died in his 50s, uh, not too long ago. But he's been compared to Cormac McCarthy. Now, if you're familiar with Cormac McCarthy, Cormac McCarthy doesn't write upbeat, happy stories. Neither did Larry Brown. Uh, it stars Nicolas Cage and Ty Sheridan, and directed by David Gordon Green. Uh, it it was a, considered a box office flop. It was only made on a budget of $4 million. Um, but it only made 2.3 million back initially, though it was heavily praised for David Gordon Green's direction and Nicholas's Cage performance. This is not a film where Nicholas Cage is over the top. And if you like Mandy, you should watch this. There's no supernatural in this. There's nothing like that. It is a drama. Nick Cage plays Joe. Shocker. Um, Nick Cage plays Joe. He's a foreman for a Texas tree poisoning company. Basically, if there's an area where they can't have trees, uh, there's actually an area like this on my parents' farm where the major power lines are and they poison the trees once every five years so they don't grow. Uh, and that's what they do. There is a kid uh, named Gary. Gary is 15. Gary is in poverty. Gary doesn't have food. And he shows up and he says, hey, can is there any work I can do? Can I? And, and Joe finally says, I'll give you something to do. And he gives him a job. Uh, Gary's father is an alcoholic, an abusive alcoholic who basically wants to beat him up and take his money. Joe starts to kind of keep, try to keep an eye out on him, lets him come back to do some more off the record work. Meanwhile, there's this kind of criminal in town, Willie, uh, Willie, who is, he's a rapist. He's a drunk. He's, I mean, these are terrible people living in poverty, doing whatever it takes to get by. Uh, there's there's bar scenes. Or, I mean, these people are not going out to nice dinners. And basically, at the end of it, Joe realizes he's an ex. Joe himself is an ex-con. He has a violent history. He's trying to get beyond that. He's trying to live a normal life. But he starts to realize that basically, um, 
Gary is also trying to watch out for his younger sister. And there's a point where his younger sister is almost raped. And Joe basically says, we can't let this happen. So if you've seen Mandy, this is the non-supernatural version of that. But it is very layered. It is very heavy. It is very sad. And that's why I compare it to Winter's Bone. Joe and I, I think, watch Winter's Bone together. And Winter's Bone has a certain logic. If you come from certain areas, it's not yeah. turn them in, turn them in. It's I just need what I need for my family. Yeah, then, it, it's a very rural film. I don't know and, how else to put it, I, but I think rural is the best way. It's rural. Mind your business, do what you got to do. Yeah. Go from he there. got shot. He was into something he shouldn't have been into. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, that's very much a back home. That's in Eastern Kentucky or Western Kentucky. It's probably a small town thing of someone was shot. Well, what were they doing that they shouldn't have been doing? Shouldn't have been doing. And, and that's pretty much the same logic that runs through Joe, but Joe ends up very bleak. It's it's not a, I mean, you've got people. David Gordon Green has directed comedies. Well, and that was the one and thing. And Halloween. And Halloween, which is pretty damn good. Yep. Except for that one scene. If you <laughs> The explanation. No, no, the, the doctor. That's what I'm saying. If why yeah, yeah, you yeah. let him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, had to have a reason. That's the one lacking thing of how did he get out. But in I mean, that this, movie, that movie's very grand. I'm sorry, we could do a whole episode on that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, if you've never seen Joe and you like David Gordon Green or you like Nicolas Cage, you need to see it now. It again, I'm, I can't tell you when you should watch it. It's heavy, it's dark, it's bleak. And yes, they don't stop all the evil in the world. There are still people out there that, you know, are pedophiles and all that stuff. And that's not what this film's about. It's about one person trying to do right, but, he, but everything's wrong and there's nothing that can be done about it and there's violence. And at the end of the day, you wonder what's going to happen to the kid because things are complicated and things are heavy. Uh, and again, this movie doesn't have a ton of quote unquote supernatural Nick Cage freakout scenes. And I love Mandy and Mandy almost made this list because I love Mandy that much. That being said, Joe is a very different type of film. It's very much a straight up drama but it's a drama that looks at poverty. And by the way, one of the characters is actually played by an actress named Heather Kafka. So it's even Kafka-esque. <laughs> Look it up. I'm not making uh, it up. Anyway. is complete, sir. Ready? Come. <laughs> All right. So I did, I did my quirky role. I did my serious role. Now I'm going to do my fun role. And if Joe doesn't pick what I think he's going to pick for his last one, I want to talk about my favorite role. At Dude, the end you here. do it now. No, no, I'm you're not going one. to pick. You're not going to pick when I'm picking for my third. We'll see. You I want to pick. I want to pick my fun role, um, and that is Big Daddy from yeah, Kickass. I, I, I wanted to, but I thought one of you all would get it. So. I, I had to do Big Daddy from Kickass. Oh, child. <laughs> oh, child. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, directed by Matthew Vaughn, written by Jane Goldman and Matthew Vaughn, based on the comic book Kickass. Um, it's essentially about a, 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 a teenager who has no superpowers whatsoever. Super, superheroes don't exist, uh, but he puts on a, a wetsuit and starts fighting crime. And um, he ends up teaming up with Hit Girl and Big Daddy, a father-son duo who fight crime. Um, and Matt, uh, Nicolas Cage obviously takes a lot of his uh, role from Adam West uh, from the original 1960s Batman. Um, which is very obvious when he does this role. And it is so much fun. Uh, it, he is so weirdly kooky in this movie. It's just entertaining from moment to end. 
Uh, I pulled a quote from him about working on this movie from movies.com. Whoever got the name to that website should be kissed on the mouth. <laughs> movies.com. Yeah. Uh, there was a kind of playful creativity to the experience of making Kick-Ass that I enjoy thoroughly, particularly because of Matthew Vaughn's direction and his willingness to go in these pretty unusual waters. He was open to the idea of me channeling Adam West to play Big Daddy. I can't think of another director who would allow that. But at the same time, he was really the captain of his own ship. And honestly, as well as Jim, as great as the Jim Carrey is as an actor, he's one of my favorites. His, his fault, he was the replacement for Big Daddy and Kick-Ass 2, and it just did not fit. Well, I think the problem with Kick-Ass 2 is there's no Matthew Vaughn. There's no yeah, Matthew right? Vaughn, exactly. Uh, but also, too, I just don't think Jim Carrey's role in that would have matched Big, did Nicolas Cage's Big Daddy anywhere close to it and you know the one thing I, as crazy as he is um in that film the one the one scene that honestly i have sometimes i have trouble watching um is honestly his final scene his death scene, scene where he is yelling yeah, the instructions bad. to and by the way spoilers people sorry but this is what this episode this is what this podcast is when he's yelling the directions to his daughter while he is literally burning alive yeah, the second movie doesn't. It have does not, like and it it tears at you. But at the same time, you yeah. are enjoying the hell out of watching this, and Nicolas Cage just screaming in agony. He's screaming in pain at yeah. the top of his lungs, trying to help his daughter. It is phenomenal, and yep. again, every one of my picks proves how great a Nicolas Cage is, and it still is not. I'm going to go on to Joe. Joe, you pick your last one. Uh, does not still capture Nicolas Cage at his finest. Well, I had the two huge ones. I'm going to read a few quotes from the one I'm going to pick. Okay. I don't know that this is my favorite or my best, but damn, it's a Nicolas Cage role. Early test screenings for this film did not go well. Estimated that 80 people walked out of the first one and 100 in the next. The film was completed one day before it debuted at the 90 Cannes Film Festival. 2,400 seats. Bernardo Berlucci was the one who announced the movie as winning the Palm Door at the award ceremony. And the booze almost drowned out the cheers with the film because Roger Ebert, Chad, bringing this back around 360, leading the vocal detractors. There was a prevailing mood that the media was hoping that, well, David Lynch would fail. Mm. Wild at heart. Wild at heart. I didn't think you were going that way. I thought you were going another way. But I told you you would not pick my third one. Okay. Now, the I issue – so, if you've ever seen – so, I'm going to assume this is the one, kind of like Joe, and what was the one we talked about earlier, Red Rock, Red Rock West, that West. probably a lot of our viewers haven't seen. Right. Probably, unless you're a huge Lynch fan, haven't seen Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart is a dirty movie, and I don't mean that as in it was a, there's a lot of sex. It's just a grimy, dirty movie. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it probably 91, 92 when I should have had no business watching it. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was a latchkey child and God bless it. It turned me into the man I am today. Whew. Let's take a pause for that. Yeah. I'm, 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 sorry. I got to kill these crickets. <laughs> right. I'll take a pause for that for a second. While at heart just jarred me and it has stayed with me. It's probably the first David Lynch film I'd saw. Maybe, I, you know what? I'd probably had seen Dune, or at least most of Dune, but I didn't know, because that's not the same as the rest of the David Lynch filmography, right? 
It's just like the Correct. Elephant Man or A Straight Story. They seem out of place. I love both of those movies, but they're out of place with the rest of what we think of when we think, think of, of Lynchian, yeah, when yes. we think of Lynch films. Wild at Heart won the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival. I did not know it won that. That it, is crazy. But I think it's fascinating that the, the boos were louder than the cheers. I wonder why. Because it's was, a very divisive film. Well, was David well, Lynch there to accept the award? I don't know. I want to. I want to. talks about the movie, and I'm going to talk about the little movie before we get back to Nicolas Cage a little bit. As is how fascinating it was to work with Lynch and how to try to get the character because he plays a nasty kind of hit man who's God. He's just awful in that movie, and he got it through the teeth that Lynch wanted him to wear, and that's how he built the character out. And Nicolas Cage credits Lynch from curing him of the method. And what I mean by that is he had been a method actor. And after this, he realized he no longer wanted to be a method actor. Then he wanted to try to grow organic through these, become whatever this is, these these <clears throat> Nick Cage performances. Make sense to you two? They're not yep. a method. They're not necessarily, Nick Cage isn't method. So David Lynch started this, according to Nicolas Cage. He unleashed him to be able to do this. For example... The jacket he wears is a snakeskin jacket. That's actually Nicolas Cage. He wanted to wear it. All the singing that he does in the movie, that's what he that's his actual voice. Now, quick little bit of a summary for this. It's it's him and Laura Dern. They're in love. They're cross star-crossed lovers who families hate it. His mom hates him. He Nicolas Cage plays Sailor and she plays Lula, which is completely a Lynch universe t uh, names, right, Chad? Yep. Some sort of fucked up 50s version of what maybe life would have been. That's complete lynching. And it had that soundtrack too. Yeah. Well, and that's I probably the first time I ever listened to Chris Isaac was from the soundtrack of Wild at Heart, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think of the famous Chris Isaac song that plays in that, but I don't know the name of it. I can play uh, it from my head. I'm not going to start singing. Yeah, that's from Wild at Heart which Lynch is known for great music, similar similar to Tarantino, great music in his films. So Laura Dern's mom hates her, played by Diane Ladd, who's actually her mom. She sets him up and he ends up in prison and he gets out of prison uh, and they roll off together. And basically they're avoiding a series of hitmen and other folks, some of them played by Harry Dean Stanton, William Dafoe, Crispin Glover's in it as well. And to stop them because she wants to kill Sailor because she thinks her daughter can do better that he's horrible. And that's what the movie's about. And they're cross-country duel to they're going to Vegas and them reuniting their love affair. It has a downbeat ending. It's kind of lifts up because it doesn't quite work out well for, you can imagine for Lynch, a lot of people die. But if you're a Lynch fan and you've never seen Wild at Heart, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you love, love, um, Twin Peaks, then you should watch Wild at Heart because to me, Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks, and Blue Velvet are the three that I think all are in the same universe. Uh, real quick, by the way, for our listeners, if you don't know who David Lynch is, uh, you may know him more as the voice of the bartender Gus. On the I knew he was going to do it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. I knew he was by by the way, that's his actual voice. If you've never seen the Cleveland. No, we know. We no, no, know. I'm talking. He was also talking. great on Louie. Does any, did anybody ever watch? He the played episode? Doll. He played Jack Doll. On Louis? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he's the one trying to get him ready to take over for Letterman. Uh, Louis C.K. used to be a comedian who uh, <laughs> got caught up in something that we aren't allowed to talk about him anymore. 
Yeah, but no, no. no uh, the, but I, 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 it's one of the, it's one of the things that I do appreciate about the Cleveland show. We need to cast a bartender. Who do you want? I like the way. Can we get uh, somebody that sounds like David Lynch? Let's just get you David Lynch. If, you want to see if David Lynch is available? Well, let's see if he'll do it. Oh, he will. Cool. Well, David Lynch puts himself in a lot of his movies anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I just anyway, no, yeah, it's one of my favorite. I won't belabor the point, but. Just because of how much credit he gives David Lynch, I think Wild at Heart is, is important for that whole crazy, crazy, I mean, he let him go. Yeah. And if you watch it from that point on, I don't know, Moonstruck is another one that I think is, is, is one of those where he just goes batshit nuts. Of course, he also gets to play it with Cher. Right. All right. Wicked Game, by the way. Wicked Game is a Wicked Game. Thank you. I couldn't yeah. remember Chris Isaac's song. It, it I, also has a couple other songs, but the most famous Chris Isaac song in my world ever is Wicked Game. No, and it's playing on the trailer. Yeah. I know it doesn't sound anything like Chris Isaac. People bite me. <laughs> Chris Isaac did a like show Chris, on Showtime where all he did was have sex with women. You don't sound like Chris Isaac Google because it. people bite you. That's Chris Isaac in real life, anyway. So what's the difference? Well, I would too if I was Chris Isaac. Now, uh, so Joe, I'll be honest. Honorable so I wanna, mentions. My honorable mention. I'm only going to do one because it is my. And Joe, I thought I really thought you were going to bring this one up. It is what I think, and you all may argue with me, but I think is the best Nick Cage performance. And honestly, it's one of my. It's probably it's close to my top favorite Nicolas Cage movie, The Weatherman. Oh yeah, I honestly, I, my, I, Michael Caine steals that film though. Oh no, James! Nicholas Cage Man, is amazing. I tell you, the Weatherman is a the Weatherman. Great movie. That's great. I'm not arguing with you, it's, but I mean, Michael Caine is something about. Let's see. Him playing that. Kavinsky's cold... two best films are The Weatherman and Rango. Rango. Yeah, no doubt. Followed by Mouse Hunt. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Mouse Hunt is more fun. I like Pirates of the Caribbean. I just showed it to my kid a few months ago, and yeah. I enjoyed it again. But it Mouse Hunt's better. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I can see that. But no, uh, the weatherman, Nicholas Cage and the weatherman, I think is him. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's him holding back. I agree. Watching him play. Everybody knows Nicholas Cage, the the insane, manic performances. But seeing Nicholas Cage subdued, just getting gut punched every step oh. of the way. By everybody. By everybody. His life isn't working out. His wife isn't working out. His dad's dying. He has everything. And, yeah. and his dream, successful. he thinks one thing. He thinks one thing. Well, yeah. Get that one thing. It'll change it all. And, and the best thing. He's completely oblivious to the fact that he's a successful guy. Right. Yeah, completely oblivious. And, you know, the, 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 the best, one of the best scenes is, well, why did you start carrying a bow and arrow? Well, people start throwing milkshakes on me when I start pulling arrows. <laughs> Which is a good, I mean, I would assume it would stop it. It is yeah. such a bizarre, wonderful film. And I know it's bizarre in the sense of, I think it's completely accessible. It's just yeah. a character study. And it, I, James, in, uh, James, you saw it with a bunch of students and they hated your guts for it. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. know this story. Yeah. Because uh, they, they wanted an action film. They're, oh, it's Nick Cage. And I was like, yeah, it's Nick Cage. It's no, it's, it's yeah. it is such a, it is a character study. It is literally just human intrigue. It doesn't need bells and whistles. It just, it's just this man, this broken man yeah. trying to live life and failing miserably. He, he has everything he could ever ask for and he's just miserable. 
and it it's honestly it's it's a gut punch from one from you know but you know it has it has kind of a candy coated in but it still is not a happy ending per se it has one of the best uh, uh camel toe jokes of all time <laughs> <laughs> forgot about it but yeah uh, but yeah james is I, I, I don't necessarily agree with james that michael kane steals it but michael kane's performance in that movie of just playing this stone cold straight face no emotion but person. i don't think he did you know and he loves his son you clearly see it in the movie i yeah. don't they're just two completely different people who person, don't have yeah. anything in common other than their father and son yeah one is a talented author who's beloved by his country and his president who's never and it even says in the movie he's never made as much money as his son has being on tv right yeah and then you know nicholas cage is just a weatherman who constantly gets the weather wrong and has milkshakes thrown on him yeah and it's just if you haven't uh, seen it's the dipper it's the day the day's going to be the co- the coldest it's the dipper is it the nipper no it's the nipper i can't remember I can't. I'm blanking. Anyway, it's a good movie. Watch. Yeah, it. if you haven't seen The Weatherman, in terms of the best Nicolas Cage film, in my opinion, in terms of performance, Weatherman. James, that's my I honorable go, mention. My honorable mention, real quick, Lord of War. Ooh, I was gonna, that was going to be one of mine. This is J. This is one I thought James was going to bring up. This or another oh, one yeah. that starts with M, which is a fantastic. I thought James. Movie. I thought that was a bit right off the bat, but I but figured James. I thought may James have, was either going to pick the M one or Lord of the war, but Lord of war is a depressing film. It, yeah, very. It, it, you follow the manufacturing of a bullet, bullet. Opening, right? Till the it credits. Kills. Yeah. Till it kills a child. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. Child, it it kills a kid. And that's the opening of the movie. And it's, uh, it's downbeat. It's probably as accurate as possible about those people and how they do. These arms dealers are, they are covered by the government yeah. because they sell yeah, to which the government. Is- which is one of the best cold-hearted scenes I've seen on film, because he's got him dead to rights. Yeah, get him dead, and he does. I'll tell you what's going to happen here in a few minutes. Somebody's going to knock on that door. And he does the entire thing. Step up. You're going to get an accommodation for finally catching me. Yep. And then they're going to escort you out, and then they're going to escort me out. Yep. And it's just a cold hard. That's what happens. Yeah. And I and what's really interesting about it, Joe, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but we worked with somebody. Or I worked more. Directly, I do. I remember the story in where she at the opening credits. She would not, not let her husband finish watching the film. She once once that bullet kills that child, mm-hmm. she, I will not watch a film that glorifies this. And to me, it doesn't glorify it. It I doesn't glorify it, it at all. In fact, it shocks you and tells you what you're about to watch. Yeah. And these things happen daily, folks. Yeah, and it is. It, I agree. It is an underrated Nick Cage Life film. I, it was on my. It was and it was a, one that was actually going to be higher on my list, but I coin flipped as we talked because I was like, "Ah, oh, well, what about this one?" So. I could have been here all day. Yeah, we could have done yeah. two parter. I don't know that we need to, but we could have done a two parter on it. All right, no, I think what we've already done is a two parter. <laughs> yeah, honorable mention. Uh, honorable mention. Uh, you know, since you took that one, I'm going to actually bring up one. Uh, Lord of War, Port of Call, New Orleans. Oh, not Lord of War. Sorry. <laughs> Bad oh, lieutenant. I, that was the one. I, that was another one that I wanted to do. That I was. Wrestling. I thought James was going to bring this one up, and so yeah. Bad lieutenant. I almost so, did that instead. Of I know. I, I did some more research on this one, and I'm more fascinated by it now. So here's a here's a two second version of the plot. He plays a cop. Hurricane Katrina happens. 
there's a prisoner that wasn't transferred that should have been. He ends up saving the prisoner. He hurts his back. He starts doing Vicodin to deal with that. S jumped six months forward. He's now addicted to painkiller. He's doing cocaine. He's doing drugs, whatever he can get his hands on. He's messing with prostitutes. He's exchange. Uh, he's he's uh, everything's going downhill, and it keeps it jumps forward in time again. There's an immigrant plot. Brad Dourif is in this. It's a great film. Um, and that it's completely bleak. I mean, it and is it's directed by Werner Herzog, the great German director. Aguirre, Wrath of God. Yeah. But um, that's Carl though. Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. He's a great character. Or the the crazy German bastard for no reason. You have like, why is he in the Mandalorian? Why is this crazy? <laughs> Would you like a it was not a beverage? Oh my like, god, but you next like to, a libation. <laughs> but you all gotta agree, next to Baby Yoda, he's the most he's got the most popular character. Oh man, I, I want him like, well they need to, they have the they have the baby Yoda toy. I want a plush murder Herzog from Mandalorian. <laughs> Which, I that, that you pull the string and says, would you like a libation? <laughs> no, but oh. uh, James, I got to, so guys, I got to tell you, so I'd never seen Bad, uh, Bad Lieutenant Port uh, of Saint. Really? I had not seen it till a month ago. Oh, you saw it. Okay. I saw it. I loved it. I, it's John good. Nicholas Cage crazy. And that, you know, there, there are the weird aspects of it, like uh, typical word of Herzog film. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, where he goes to, for some reason, it goes into the point of view of the uh, the iguana and the the crocodile or alligator for some reason. I don't remember any of that, but but oh yeah, it goes magic crazy. Um, but I don't know. And Joe James, I don't know if you remember it. Joe, you probably don't remember that well. There is one part of that movie about five minutes where, for some reason, Nicolas Cage develops an accent. I don't remember that. He goes into the police department and starts talking to him and he starts talking like this and he goes, and so you just don't understand. It's just, you gotta do this and I gotta get this done. And it's my, and he talks like this for five minutes. And then all of a sudden he goes back to normal. And I'm like, where the hell did that accent come from people? I, it's, it's the thing that took me out of color, out of space. As much as I enjoyed it, I, it was just, his, I haven't seen it his yet. Performances. Yeah. It's great when it's confined. But no, he was, he, he, he had, and then also he just started talking like this. I just, I, I just got to get this figured out. And he kind of went Jimmy Stewart. And I just don't know why he talked like that. <laughs> well, so, so I, I want to flesh this out just briefly because it, it's, You're it's a whole not, fifth movie here, aren't you? Well, yeah, he is. He's just doing fifth. a whole other movie talking about <laughs> Port of Station Orders. And now, now well, I'm going to talk like he, this all day tomorrow and I can't know. stop myself. <laughs> Do you know how this Mr. Connor? <laughs> Connor? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's Connor. <laughs> Mr. Connor taught John Travolta in Face Off. He taught him how to love. <laughs> oh my hey, Mr. God, Mr. Connor. Hold on, let me do it in that voice. Oh my God, Mr. Connor. Did you? So, do you know how this connects to the original Bad Lieutenant? Do yeah, you know they the, own the title. The producers well, no. own the title. But but actually, yeah, and 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 um, Herzog didn't want to use it. No, he said the only way he'd do it is if you'd like put port a call New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and so his quote at the time was, I battled against the title when it was getting ready to come out from the first moment on and finally said, I can live with it. I have no problem with it all. The title is probably a mistake, but so be it. But do you know what Abel Ferrara's response was? No. Oh. oh. The original Bad Lieutenant, which is an NC-17. And if you ever wanted to look at Harry, Harvey Keitel's penis or see him masturbate while two girls are in a car, that – 
the original Bad Lieutenant is the movie for you. Well, here, I'll just read this real quickly. This is a great way to wind up our Nick Cage episode. Abel Ferrara, director of the 1992 film, has been quoted by various media outlets as being very angry about the film. When it was first announced, Ferrara was quoted as saying, quote, as far as remakes go, I wish these people die in hell. I hope they're all in the same streetcar and it blows the hell up. When asked later for his response to Ferrara's uh, uh, statements, Herzog said that he does not even know who he is. I've never seen a film by him. I have no idea who he is. <laughs> at a press conference at the Venice Film Festival after the film premiere, Herzog said to Ferrara, I would like to meet this man. <laughs> and I have a feeling that if we met and talked, perhaps over a bottle of whiskey, would you like a libation? <laughs> would you like a libation? Look it up. I should, I know. I should add, I think we would straighten everything out. By the 2018, so two years ago, Newcastle International Film Fester, Ferrara said that he had eventually met Herzog and they had made peace. But I do love that. I hope they're all on the same streetcar <laughs> and it blows the hell up. I love the fact that Werner Herzog was trying to, not that, not that the director of Miss 45 doesn't need to be heard. Actually, he directed an underappreciated film that we may get to later. That if we could do uh, remakes that that bomb that aren't terrible uh, his version of the body snatchers is not bad problem is is that lloyd lloyd kaufman <laughs> sorry wrong kaufman philip kaufman did did the invasion of the body snatchers in 78 and don siegel did it in the 50s and those two movies are just fantastic yeah. two totally different like the thing and the like the thing from another world and the thing they're just two fantastic films that are kind of the same but different yeah. But anyway, so Portal New Orleans, if you've not seen it, it is it is a cop gone bad, drugs and all of that stuff. And it's it's, it's not as depressing movie. as the Abel Ferrara version. Oh no, no. But it also does have less views of people's uh genitalia. R V Kytel's genitalia. Which is a <laughs> negative in this reviewer's side. R V Kytel. Genitalia. Anybody got so anything else? That's, that's been Nick Cage. Uh, if you've not seen any of those movies, start with those, but he's got plenty to watch. Also, if you love Nick Cage, please listen to our Patrick Lussier episode where he talks about working with him in Drive Angry, which is another performance that we really like. And he tells some good stories about trying to talk him out of doing actual tattoo work on his head. Mm -hmm. Remember? Yes. yes. Actually, you need to watch that one. You need to watch the. Uh, uh, you just said it earlier. Uh, Chris Alexander. Chris Alexander. Chris Alexander tells the best story, best Nicholas Cage yeah, about having to interview him and how much fun yeah. it was to interview him and going to his private island off the off of Paradise Island. Yes, in the Bahamas. So you need to yeah watch those episodes because Nick Cage is, and I, I don't say this sarcastically. He really is a national treasure. I would watch that man in just about anything, including National Treasure. And notice that did not make our list. No. No, actually, and I know you said something about it, but I prefer, I, 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 uh, I think, I like National Treasure okay. It's historically inaccurate, whatever. But I almost think Sorcerer's Apprentice is better than National Treasure 2. There, I said it. I, yeah, I, it's just, my point was Sorcerer's Apprentice isn't a terrible movie. It's just a complete waste of Nicolas Cage. <clears throat> Alfred Molina's pretty good, though, as a villain. Alfred Molina's great in anything. Oh, Chad, no. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please share our episode. We noticed that there's a 40 or 50 of you that tune in real quick. Well, if you 40 or 50 met 40 or 50 more and they met 40 or 50 more, before you know it, we'd be in the double digits. 
I also thought it was because Bonehead works. because Bonehead Weekly is a pyramid scheme. Yep. Also, also every blue moon we post. Uh, but it's uh, not uh, money. We're literally trying to build fucking pyramids. We're. <laughs> Uh, no, we, we also occasionally will post... Uh, hey, I'm damn, damn, I'm damn near determined that a pyramid can be a trapezoid. I don't anyway, know enough about geography. We we also occasionally will post uh, surveys about what you would like to see more of or less of, etc. on uh, Twitter and whatnot. So you probably also follow us there at Bonehead Weekly. Sounds good. Thank you all so much. We got a big guest for you next week. <laughs> bye-bye. No, bye-bye. <laughs>